You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians in the 10th chapter. If there's ever been a message that we need to hear, it's this one. If there's ever been a message the enemy does not want us to hear, it is this one. If there's ever been a message that could radically impact the way we live our lives daily, it is this one. Not because the preacher is so good, but the message through the Word is just that good, that clear, that plain to us. Paul writing here to believers, Christians... Sometimes you might have the idea that once I get saved, that's kind of the end of the journey. fact is, that's just the beginning of the journey. So remember, Paul writing to Christians, and he says this, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. For 2,000 years there's been a battle going on. We call it spiritual warfare. Certainly you've, you've heard of that. It may be a, something relatively familiar to you. But this morning I want to call your attention to the weapons of our warfare but by way of introduction, I want us to look at these three verses together. Paul is, is talking strategy, the specifics of our battle. Our battle is personal, it is individual, and you and I are equipped with everything we need to fight the battle. Here it is, though. For these 2,000 years as the battle's been going on, believers have way too often times been guilty of carrying a knife to a gunfight. In other words, rather than using the equipment that God has given us, the armor that God has given us, we choose to fight our battles with our own artillery. Three verses that we look at this morning. Let me just give them to you one by one. Number one, the Bible says that we are to walk in the flesh because we have no choice. This morning you got up, you went outside and you said, it's cold. Your, your flesh let you know it was cold. Maybe you walked outside and said, oh my goodness, my back is hurting because it is cold. Your body tells you daily. We are reminded moment by moment that we are living in, in, in a very fallen place and, and, and through our flesh we are weak. In fact, Paul says that we are weak using the word sarx, S-A-R-X, which means weakness. And that word in the Greek means three kinds of weaknesses. It means physical weakness. We don't have to, uh, to, to explain that to you. You know what it's like to be physically weak. You've experienced that. But he's also talking about psychological weakness that mentally we're not able to even grasp the, uh, the very magnitude of the battle that we're in. Verse number 5 talks about that. But it also talks about spiritual weakness. And if we're not careful, we'll become spiritually weak and unable to fight our battle. Verse number 4 the Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not man-made, but yet they are mighty through God. We need to identify this morning the strongholds of verse number 4. If I were to pass out little note cards and ask each of you to, to write down one stronghold or, or maybe two or three strongholds in your life, 
Now, I might first have to explain what a stronghold is. Listen, don't make the Bible more complicated than what it is. When you come to this verse, and this word in the King James Version says stronghold. It's just simply something that's got a strong hold over you. Whether it's physical, you know, I want to tell you, sometimes uh, those 86-layer chocolate cakes kind of have a strong hold over me when I'm done eating a meal. Uh, sometimes things have a physical stronghold. Sometimes it's a, it's a mental stronghold. Sometimes an emotional stronghold, anger or, or, or hatred or bitterness or, or something, you know, animosity, jealousy, whatever it might be. And it's got a strong hold over us. It's keeping us captive. And the Bible says that we all have strongholds in our life. It may be some addiction, whatever it might be. But in verse number 4, the Bible says that the weapons that God will give us are mighty and they will literally pull down those strongholds. They will take those strongholds from us, remove those strongholds of our life. So we look at the enemy's attacks and then we look at our weapons and see clearly that the weaponry that God has given us is greater than the strongholds over us. And then thirdly, verse 5, we have a role in this battle. We are facing spiritual battles all around us. They're before us. They're behind us. You're either in the midst of a spiritual battle, coming out of one or going into one. I promise you that's the case. But we have a responsibility. Realizing that the battle is primarily mental. The battle is, is primarily a matter of, of realizing and having the understanding that, that we are great, not because of, of who we are, but because of whose we are. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And when the enemy comes against me, the enemy may be bigger than me, but my God is bigger than my enemy. If that makes sense, say amen. We are called to be warriors in the midst of our battle. Father, I pray that you would take over these next 30 minutes or so and God, that you would pour out your spirit upon this place and every person under the sound of my voice might not hear the words of the preacher, but the Lord, the, Lord, the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Lord, from the pulpit to the pew, we would understand that we are in a battle, that we are going through spiritual battles daily, but you have given us everything we need, not only to face that battle, but to fight that battle and to be victorious in in the midst of that battle. God, I pray if there's somebody here today that has walked in feeling like a victim, Lord, they will walk out in just a little bit being reassured and with the realization that they are a victor. In Jesus' sweet name, amen and amen. More than likely this morning, you would probably pick a different subject than to talk about than spiritual warfare or a battle. And honestly, beloved, I can think of a lot of things I would rather preach about. Maybe heaven or the grace of God, God's amazing grace or His favor or whatever it might be. But I believe that God has led us to this particular passage today that we might realize that there is a battle going on. Let me give you just a couple of things this morning. And I want not only to look at what the Scriptures have to say, but bring it into the 21st century and make some application so that we will be not only helped and encouraged, but I mean absolutely assured of the victory that's already ours. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the saints of God proclaiming their victory as they look to a cross. You and I can proclaim our victory looking back at a cross through Christ this morning. Number one, I want you to see the reality of the battle. The 
would love for you to think that there is no battle. He would love for you to think that everything is going to be wonderful if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, that every day is going to be a Friday, that your cup's always going to overflow, that your bank account's always going to abound, that your frowns will always turn upside down. But that's simply not the truth. The Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Bible says that we need to prepare daily for the attacks that will abound. So we understand there is a reality of the battle. If you have your Bibles, continue looking. Let's look over now in Ephesians chapter 6. I do want to encourage you week in and week out to, to bring your Bible and look along. Don't just take my word for these things, but there's power in understanding who we are according to the Word of God. The Bible says this in verse number 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Listen, Say, well, the reality of the battle, how does this, uh, what does this say to me? I want you to know, uh, I grew up as an athlete, loved sports, and man, I loved game day. In fact, I would get through school and I probably didn't make great grades on, on game days because my mind was already on the big game. And I love whenever it came the end of the day and, and, and we got out of school and sometimes we'd get on the bus or sometimes we'd go into the locker room depending if it was an away or a home game. And I would begin counting down the moments and the, and the hours until game time and whether it was baseball or, or, or soccer or basketball or one of the other sports man I couldn't wait for, for you know the buzzer to go off or the whistle to be blown and as things got a little bit closer it would come that time we would look at the clock and realize it was time to get suited up and we'd put on you know our, our uniforms and, and I just loved that moment because you knew that the game was getting close and when Paul says put on the whole armor of God it means that the battle is getting close there would be no reason for us to be armed except for the fact that something's getting ready to come against us. When Saul handed little David his armor, it was because there was a giant fixing to come against him. Understand that. There's the reality of the battle. Uh, of the battle. We need to accept, number one, that there's, the, that there's a real enemy. Did you know that? He does not want us to even know that he's there. He would love to stay under the radar. How do I know that there's a real enemy? Well, the Bible says so. The Bible says that he is a roaring mighty lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me just stop there for a moment and say many times when we talk about the devil, we aim too far in one direction or the other. We either underestimate him and say, well, I'm not worried about him. He has no power over me. He has no influence over me. Listen, I want to tell you, he's got you right where he wants you. He doesn't mind you denying him, his very existence. The Bible said that he's like a thief. And listen, a thief doesn't want you to know whenever he's going to come break in your house. So sometimes we underestimate him. And then other times we overestimate him. Listen, everything that happens in your life is not a direct result of an attack of the enemy. If you're driving down the road and you happen to get a flat tire, it may not be that the enemy is attacking you. It may be that a roofer dropped some nails in the yard and in the road that he was coming out of. If that makes sense, do like that. You know what I mean? In fact, it might even be that... The, that, 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 that I'm about to get there. That the good Lord... I got a lot to say. I hate when I watch this on the video and I do that. I feel so foolish. But anyway, so if we can edit that out. Can we do that? Let's just edit out all of my stuttering, all right? Boy, I'm going to teach y'all a lesson, okay? Because you need this lesson. When I was a little boy, my mama stuttered. And when I was a little boy, sometimes I'd make fun of my mama for stuttering. And now when I stutter, I feel real bad for making fun of my mama when she stuttered when I was a little boy. I don't know if you needed that, but I thought I'd give it to you anyhow. 
So don't make fun of your mama when she stutters because one day you'll be in front of a whole lot of people and you'll stutter and feel right foolish. But anyway, remember, oh yeah, here it goes. You get a flat tire, it might be that the good Lord wanted you to have a flat tire so you wouldn't have a head-on collision three miles down the road, okay? So don't blame everything on the enemy. When you get a little bit of headache, it isn't necessarily an enemy thing. Whenever something happens, but be real, you know, Realize that he is a real enemy. Let me give you three instances in Scripture. Number one, the taunting in Eden. The taunting in Eden. What do I mean by that? Adam and Eve had everything they could possibly want. They had everything that God would provide for them. God gave them a perfect place to live. They had plenty of food, beautiful weather. They didn't have to toil, didn't have to worry, didn't have to work. I mean, everything was good. It was perfect. Even God looked at it and said, oh, this is good. He was well pleased. But then the enemy began taunting Eve with the forbidden fruit. The Bible doesn't say that this fruit did not smell good. The Bible does not say that this fruit would not taste good. In fact, most likely this fruit was very, very appealing. Sin is like that. But the enemy taunted her with that. He made it look so good and so appealing and he convinced her that God really didn't mean what he said about casting him out of the garden. God really was not a judging God. He was a loving God, a merciful God. So he taunted Eve and through that sin entered man's race. Sometimes the enemy will taunt you. He knows our weakness. He knows how to make something look very appealing. Even Paul said, why is it that I do things every day that I know I don't need to do, but I do it anyway? Why? Because the enemy can taunt us. Secondly, there was the testing of Job. I, I read this story and it breaks my heart for Job, but much good came out of the story of Job. And one of the things was, listen, the enemy reveals his hand a bit when it comes to Job's life. He kept going back to God and saying, God, I, I want to get Job. Sure, he's faithful, but that's because he's got it so good. And God said, okay, I'm willing to let you test my servant Job. And so the enemy tested him with his family, with his fortune, and even with his own physical body. The enemy attacked and attacked and attacked, testing Job to seeing if he would remain faithful to the point that even Job's wife would cry out and say, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? You'd love to live with her. The testing of Job. You don't think there was a real enemy? Oh, Job knew there was a real enemy. The taunting in Eden, the testing of Job. But there was another one. There was the tempting of Jesus. For some 40 days, Jesus was tempted by a real enemy. Jesus was not having hallucinations. He was not imagining this. There was a real enemy that came against him. Tempted him physically. You're hungry, Jesus. You're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Ah, uh, you'll not tempt the Lord thy God. He tempted him with his own pride. You can be somebody, Jesus. Everything can be yours. You can be known. That was the tempting. Today, beloved, the enemy still works in the same way. He taunts us, he tests us, and he tempts us. Let me just say to you, if you're being tempted, know this. That the Bible says that temptation is very common, yet there is always a way out of that temptation. God will provide a way around any temptation that you and I might face. There is a real enemy. Number two, there is a real war. Notice what this text says. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We'll get into that in a moment. There is a wrestling going on. There is a battle going on around us, within us. There's the reality of the battle. Number two, there is the realm of the battle. Where is the battle taking place? The last part of verse 12. We are wrestling against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's more going on than what meets the eye. Almost with every situation of a married couple, if they're both Christians, I meet with them and they say we're having terrible marital problems. Their problems are not physical or emotional. Their problems are deeply spiritual because they're waging war in a realm that is beyond what we can see and touch and feel. You are dealing with things most likely even today that maybe nobody else knows about. You may be perfectly healthy physically, but yet there's something going on in your heart that is literally grieving you to death. The realm of the battle, there's so much more than meets the eye. The Bible is very specific here. And beloved, there are so many churches that we'll visit and, and speak to and they're going through terrible things and and they, they want to look at the battle and say, well, the battle is because of this or because of that. But ultimately, it is a spiritual battle that they've not yet even identified where the battle is taking place, the realm of the battle. Number one, I want you to see the danger of the battle. And that is that you and I or someone else becomes a casualty of that war. Let me just give you something that's very simple to understand, very clear to my mind anyway. There are many churches today that are struggling. They're, 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 there's infighting. They're arguing over the color of the carpet or the style of the light fixtures. They're divided over the type of worship, traditional, contemporary. They're divided over what kind of preacher they need or, or what kind of programs they need or what really is their purpose. And so many times when those battles happen within the walls of the church, many people become casualties. They're hurt and they'll leave the church and say, if that's what a church is all about, I want nothing to do with it. I feel led to tell you something that hit me yesterday. You know, it's amazing, 17 years and a few months, and, and, it, and it hit me yesterday. Now, I don't want you to take this out nowhere and tell nobody I said this, all right? But it hit me yesterday, something that makes Dublin First Baptist and the Lake Church both very, very special. And that's that nobody owns this church. Now you might say, wow, preacher, I thought you could give us something a lot juicier than that. Almost every church I visit, somebody owns it. It might be one individual. It might be one family. It might be one group within the church. It might be one age demographic. It might even be the preacher. But somebody owns it. My dear friend Tom Wagner that was here in Revival, he told me a couple years ago, he said, Cameron, our job as pastors are not to run the church. They're just to make sure nobody else does. Well, that was good wisdom. But I don't know why it took me that long to just realize just how grateful I am that we truly, I believe, are a church that the Lord has His hand in. I don't believe the church rises and falls at any one person or one family. And I'm grateful for that. And I do believe with all assurance that when it comes my time to go, I said, preacher, you're leaving? Oh, I might die. I don't know. But when I'm gone, things are going to be all right because it's not built around me, around you, around anybody else. And I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Listen, there's a danger of a church that is man-run or man-led. There's a danger of a battle that goes on with the church full of power struggles. But let me just bring it down a little bit closer. 
Sometimes when we commit our lives to the Lord, and maybe we've done so thinking, well, if I, if I truly surrender my life to Christ, everything's going to be wonderful. Friend, you've been reading wrong kind of books. You've been listening to the wrong kind of preaching, the wrong kind of singing. Some of these young men, young ladies in our church, I believe without a doubt God's got His hand upon them. And I believe we're going to see them one by one step up, answer the call to ministry or to the mission field or whatever it might be. And can I tell you, when they do that, we as a church need to come around them and pray over them like we've never prayed over somebody in all of our lives. Because when a person steps up and steps out, that's when the attacks truly come. Listen, whenever you take a stand and say, I want to be more faithful, I want to be more involved, that's when those attacks come. And if we're not careful, when they come, we'll become just another casualty that will fall away. Out of 10 pastors that enter the ministry, only one will survive to retirement. Let me say that again. Out of 10 pastors that enter the ministry today, only one will survive to retirement. That's heartbreaking. Why? Because they become casualties of the battle. Number two, there's darkness in the midst of the battle. Now, I'm not going to lie. This, it's not good. It's not easy. It's not a blessing. It's not a, I mean, it may eventually become a blessing, but when you're in the midst of a battle, it's no fun. When darkness comes, we sometimes can't see anything but that darkness. You know, you can be out on a beautiful day and all of a sudden it starts getting dark. And you look up and you think there must be a huge storm coming, but no, there's just a patch of clouds. And that patch of clouds is coming over and all of a sudden it blocks out the sun. And if it's just for a minute or two or a few moments, you can no longer feel the radiance of the sun. You cannot see the brightness of the sun. All you can see is the cloud. Oh, but take hope. That cloud's a moving on. That cloud is a temporary block. Be careful for the darkness that will come in the midst of the battle. Allow those times to bring you closer to the Lord and, and to draw nearer to His presence. Number three, there's the danger of the battle, the darkness of the battle, but there's also the deliverance from the battle. Think about this. David didn't do anything but show up to bring food to his brothers. You know, that's twice in the Bible that happened. One to David and one to Joseph. Boys, if your daddy ever tells you to take food to your brothers, be ready. God might be fixing to do something big in your life. David showed up. And when he got there, nobody was willing to fight Goliath. David stepped up and said, I'll do it. Listen, folks, when one of our young people steps up, when you see one of our young people stepping out, be very careful to point your finger of judgment at them. God just may have his hand upon them like we've never seen anything before. David stepped up and said, I'll fight him. At first they laughed and they mocked him and they realized he's the only one willing. So Saul said, here's what we're going to do. Bring my armor. Bring my shield and my vest and bring my helmet. Bring my spear. Bring everything. And you put it on little David. Can't you see David now? The, sh the helmet coming down, he can't see everything hanging off of him. And he finally says, get this stuff off of me, y'all. I don't need this anyway. And he looked at Goliath and he said, Goliath, you're coming to me with sword and spear and shield. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You see, man's way, Saul's way, the Israel army's way, we've got to equip him with physical stuff. Remember the Bible says our battle cannot be fought with carnal weapons. 
But they tried to equip him with Saul's armor. And David said, no, I don't need Saul's armor. Saul's armor is not going to be enough to bring us victory. But God's armor will be enough. There is the deliverance of the battle. When we realize, listen, that the realm of the battle is not physical, but it is spiritual, we need to remember that the spiritual battle has already been won. Goliath was just a picture of the devil himself. And I can show it to you in a hundred ways. That he was defeated that day. Number three, there's the reality of the battle, the realm of the battle. But number three, there's our responsibility in the battle. I'll close with this. Our responsibility in the battle. We're not going to get into all the details. We're going to do that next week, looking at the whole armor of God, what each part of that armor does, its purpose and its protection and so forth. But look with me at verse number 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God. Our responsibility is twofold. Number one, to be strong. You say, but preacher, sometimes I feel so weak. Oh, that's great. That is a great formula because when I am weak, he is strong. So I'm not there in my own strength. Listen, there was nothing strong about David. In fact, the Bible says that Goliath was a warrior from the time of his youth. But David was nothing but a little ruddy lad, a little weakling, a little frail little boy. We stand there against the battles that come, the battles of temptations and of testings and of the tauntings and the different things that come. You know your individual battles, the things you fight. You can't stand there in your own strength. You will fail every time. But the Bible says that we're to stand and be strong in the power of the Lord, in the power of His might. That's the first responsibility. Be strong. Number two, put on. Put on. Now think about those two little words. Put on. Now this, I don't want to get too deep in, in theology here, but when we're saved, we're completely saved. We're not half saved. God doesn't say, I'm going to save half of you. You've got to save the other half of you. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says if we are in Christ, we're a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our sins cast in the sea of forgetfulness and never be drawn up again. That's good. But now Paul is saying we've got to put on something. You mean I need something else to save me? No. You need something else just to, just to be totally surrendered to him. Putting on the whole armor of God is not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of surrender and a matter of service. A matter of being completely sold out. You can live a Christian life in a very defeated way if you so choose. I've known too many people that did. They were saved. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord the best they could. But they lived daily as victims. As if somehow the enemy had a hold over them. As if somehow there was a power working around them that they had no ability to fight or to put off. You know how to put off the power of the enemy? is by putting on the power of Christ. So we need to be actively doing that every day. We understand that every morning we get up and we put on our clothes. We get up every morning and we put on that armor. We're daily making a decision to put Christ on and His whole armor. Sometimes that's not comfortable. Sometimes that's not easy. It's certainly not common or popular. 
In fact, there almost seems to be a reward for living a mediocre Christian life these days. I just kind of want to be like everybody else. I want to find me a group and we can get together. Listen, friend, I want to tell you, sometimes when we even get together as Christians, we spend those times griping about how hard it is to be a Christian. When we put on the whole armor of God, there's absolutely nothing that the enemy can do to harm us. Let me close with this. The reward of the battle, our conclusion. The reward of the battle. If I were to ask you today, are you glad for the battle? He'd probably say no, and I'd agree. I'd, I'd agree. But there are some rewards. There are some reciprocal rewards from the battle. Number one is our faithfulness. Listen, I know our time's about up. With every battle that we face, it doesn't leave scars. It leaves results. When we have fought those battles in the name and in the power of the Lord, imagine if David would have never faced Goliath. That was a battle. You think David wanted to face Goliath? He didn't go after that day. He didn't get up that morning and say, Daddy, I think I'm going to go kill me a giant. But when the giant faced him head on, he dealt with him. David was stronger the day after Goliath than he was the day before Goliath. If that makes sense, say amen. I mean, can you imagine how much more faithful David was? He'd make mistakes. He'd get off track. But the faithfulness that comes from realizing, wow, God got me through this battle. The Bible says in Romans 6.14 that sin will no longer have dominion over us. The more I refrain from temptation, the more faithful I am. The more I look at the taunting power of the enemy and say no, the more faithful I am. The more test I endure, the more faithful I am. So faithfulness is the first reward, but number two, fruitfulness. The Bible says know this, that all things are working together for good, that those that love God are called according to His purpose. So in the midst of the battle, God's working through that met with the man a couple weeks ago and he said, Preacher, I thought I knew what faith was all about until my daughter was diagnosed with cancer and I've watched her walk this journey with such faith. A daddy learned a lesson from his little girl by watching her deal with cancer. You see, there's fruit in the midst of our battle. I don't know what kind of battle you might go, be going through. It might be physical, it might be emotional, spiritual, whatever it might be. But in the midst of that battle, let's keep our minds and our heart on, focused on the fact that God's at work here. God's going to do something. Imagine all the lives that were influenced by the story of Job or by the story of David and Goliath and all these. Listen, God was at work in the midst of that battle to teach others and to show others and to inspire others. There may be somebody watching your life right now and they're saying, yeah, that person's a Christian. They're like Job before all of his problems. The enemy said, sure, Job's living for you, God. Job's a faithful and a just man, God, but why shouldn't he be? He's got everything going for him. People may look at us and say, yeah, they go to church and they talk about Jesus and they got bumper stickers and t-shirts and all that kind of stuff, but you wait till something happens in their life. And let me tell you, friend, something's going to happen. And when it does, when we don't fall to pieces, when we cling to the one who's been clinging to us, when we embrace the one who embraces us, when we focus on the one that's been focused on us and our strength is still there, 
in the midst of that battle, lives will be radically influenced when people say, wow, they truly do have faith. There really is some substance to their talk. Number three, there's faithfulness, there's fruitfulness. These are rewards, but finally, there's a closer fellowship. With every passing battle and with every victory, our fellowship with the Lord is ever so sweet. I saw a documentary a couple of weeks ago on Eisenhower. And there were videos of him interacting with some of his soldiers. And they interviewed some and they said, we deeply loved Dwight Eisenhower. He said, why? He said, because he was with us in battle. And we believe it was because of him that we won the war. When we get to the point that we see our Lord Jesus Christ, not only as the one who took our sins away, but as the one who accompanies us and is our advocate in the midst of battle, and he is the one that causes us to win the war. Oh, there's a fellowship. There's a love in our heart for him that words cannot even begin to describe. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9. I want to leave you with this text to remember. Uh, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side. Yet we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. For we always bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be manif made manifest in us. Father, thank you for the precious promise of victory. And God, we come to you.